Well, my friends, the bad news is that today I'm on my own. Carolina is getting so much needed vacation, but don't worry, she'll be back in our next episode. The good news is that we're talking about liminality today, one of my favorite concepts. To be liminal means to occupy a position at or on both sides of a boundary or threshold. It's an in-between space. Liminality insinuates a before and an after, an origin and a destination. It insinuates an existence in the nothing that exists between two somethings. But from what and where are we coming, and to what and where are we headed? What two somethings do we exist between? We're coming from the linear material economy, fueled by the linear meaning economy. We're coming from the cascading collective trauma of what many people are calling the metacrisis, the ecocide and climate catastrophe, authoritarianism and geopolitical aggression, war in Ukraine and Gaza, and tensions in many other parts of the world. We're also coming from 200 years of massive human progress. There are many things that have become exponentially better for humans over the last century. For example, from the 1820s to the 1950s, our global poverty rate fell to under 50%. By 2001, we'd cut this rate in half again. It was cut in half yet again by 2014, and this progress continues today. Yet since the mid-2000s, the data has been mixed among modern countries, and while many globally have been raised out of poverty, wealth inequality has been skyrocketing. Additionally, indicators related to personal safety and personal rights and inclusiveness are stalling and even declining significantly among historical leaders like the UK and the US. So everything's getting better and everything's getting worse? Are we heading towards societal collapse? An entropic shift towards lower systemic complexity? Or are we moving towards a leap in the evolution of human civilization, an evolution of evolution itself, as human consciousness is able to transcend the cultural and nationalistic biases in which we've relied for survival in eons past? A future characterized by peace, cooperation, inclusion, restorative justice? This future is one of higher-ordered complexity and characterized by collective diversity and symbiosis. It's a future of emergence. To live in liminality is to live in ache, a grief for what was and a hope for what could be. It's to live in what feels like an unwordable tension, a slow-motion whisper. The words of the past, the past of certainty, where today looks like yesterday and tomorrow looks like today, are insufficient for helping us live with the ache. To grow in our capacity for standing in the nothing between these two somethings, we must learn a new language, a lexicon of liminality, if you will. This is going to be an ongoing project of the fuzz, and it's what our conversation is about today. We are speaking with John DeWall, founder of Liminal Space, to talk about how exactly we navigate these spaces, these in-betweens, the moment that we find ourselves in now as a society, looking back on a world that's been the way it's been for a long time, being radically disrupted, and beginning to paint a picture of a future that looks radically different. John's insights here were helpful for me in thinking about how to occupy this liminal space. I'm positive they're going to be helpful for you as well. Here's my conversation with John DeWall. Welcome to The Fuzz, a Gensler podcast exploring intuitive curiosities. 
I am Carolina Montilla. And I'm Joel Ferris. John, welcome to The Fuzz. Yeah, so good to be here. Thanks for having me, Joel. I think the the topic today is liminality. And I, you know, we were just talking about how this is the fuzz and the fuzz, the idea of the fuzz is that, that there are ideas, there are intuitive curiosities, so to, so to speak, that, that are fuzzy innately, right? There's a sense of shapelessness and formlessness. There's a hard to defineness to ideas often that we are most interested in, or the, the things that, that pique our curiosities and, yeah. And, um, and liminality is really innate <laughs> to fuzziness because it, it fundamentally is, and, you know, liminality is the space between definition, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if maybe you would just kick us off by expanding upon liminality. Like, what is it anyways? What is it? What is liminal? Yeah, I I think the best place to start just by talking about that is like talking about the, the thing or the energy that puts us in touch with it. And mm. I mean, inevitably, whether it's personally or professionally, disruption is is a primary force that puts us in touch with that fuzz that you're describing um there's a bit of stuff to work through to get to that creative space that you're describing and i think about this in terms of my own life like what's like propelled me into that space has usually been some significant form of change and disruption in life and it's usually not wanted, but sometimes it is. And that digs up and surfaces all those questions that are tied to practicalities and problem solvings. But then there's all those deeper questions underneath that, that really put us in touch with the who we are and what we're here for and what we want to create and that spark that takes us into that conversation in a vulnerable way if we allow it so that that space prompted by disruption Mm. um, which sucks for for many of us right (laughs) it's not fun right yeah and i mean no one has experienced any disruption these last few years i'm sure it's very (laughs) uncommon (laughs) yeah when we were talking a few months back about liminal stuff um you reference this idea of you know imagining a circle right and Mm -hmm. within that circle is the stuff of your life uh, your work your loved ones your spouse your kids even the route you take to work uh the office that you go to the desk that you sit in and then something happens and that line gets ruptured and no longer am I going to that work that I was doing or no longer is that person in my life no longer there's something that was before that no longer is there (laughs) and that's been a huge part of the last few years for just about everybody on the planet and I think as we look out into the future that's we keep seeing a lot more of that Mm, and mm. sense it in our gut like there's a lot of uncertainty in the air yeah so there's this disruption and this rupturing of that membrane that contains yeah neatness of our life and so that's the the uh event Mm -hmm. and then that introduces liminality 
Yeah, I think it's part of liminality, right? Like, how would we ever get in touch with that without that event that in mm. many ways, like, wakes us up, mm. like, wakes us up to because we're, we're kind of inclined to routine and the safety and comfort of the predictable, which is not right. a bad thing. Mm. But it has a way of, for at least myself and a lot of the clients I work with, it it, it can dampen or deaden even our creativity, right? our imaginations, um, the very stuff that infuses new learning and possibility into life, uh, as well as deeper connections uh, to those around us. And so it is part of it. Like, how would we get in touch with that? Mm-hmm. Uh, most of us, it, it it just does not typically happen without some kind of rupture. Right. Uh, and I say rupture being wanted and unwanted. Like I wanted to have a fourth kid. I had no idea what I was getting into really when I, when I was actually in it, it was a massive Mm. disruption. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted it. And like, here we are figuring it out as the line got blurred and things are quite, quite fuzzy and have been for about 10 months now. Get a little clearer because I'm getting a bit more sleep. Right, 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 right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I hear you saying like you're 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 characterizing this liminal space as a place that we find ourselves in life in which we may not know there's an uncertainty. There's an there's an unknowing that happens or or is experienced within this space. And you know, I think in in the uh, a very common phrase and and i think that came out of the military and into the consulting world in the the um mid-2000s is the term vuca right Mm -hmm. volatile uncertain um uh chaotic and uh, ambiguous Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh that we live in this vuca vuca world now right Mm -hmm. so kind of the the reality of our everyday life is liminality in the sense that we can no longer anticipate or predict what tomorrow is going to be. Yeah. In March of 2020, we all said, ah, we'll be back to work in a couple of weeks. Totally. Totally. Um, And so we were thrown into this disruption and the space of liminality, the space of not knowing and uncertainty. And how do you navigate that space? What are the, what do you begin to do? What's the, you know, I, I would imagine there's a, a particular level of naming and accepting the disruption, yeah. um, acknowledging it, but what do you do then? Yeah. yeah. Well, I always begin both in my own experience of this space and with the clients I work with is just this conversation of what's your relationship with uncertainty? Mm. Um, what is that? Uh, word what is that experience for you and reminding people and myself that that's something that lives inside us Mm. it's it's not in the the stuff that is about the change and the disruption of those routines the where the where in which you work or all the stuff that happens outside of us uncertainty lives inside us and if you inherently think that that is a problem that that's dangerous that that's something to resolve as quickly as possible you're going to find a ripcord however that that gets found you're going to find it as quickly as possible to get out of it and that would be a mistake um, because you'll bypass all of the potential that's in that liminal space for your life Mm. and so by examining like what's my relationship with uncertainty you know not that i want 
individuals to just experience discomfort for the sake of discomfort, but to recognize that the discomfort is inviting you into something. It's inviting you to see something, ask a question that perhaps has laid dormant for a long time. But now that discomfort is putting you in touch with it, putting you in, in, in a more intimate relationship with that space inside you. Mm. So in, in, in many of these journeys, it's, can we begin with that question of what's your relationship with uncertainty? Is it possible that this moment has something for you? Not, mm. not against you. Is it possible it has something for you? Mm. So like, even as we just, you know, referenced the pandemic at first, I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Like I can't possibly like do my entire day online seeing clients right. nonstop. But now I'm like, I kind of like it. Yeah. I, I see the potential now to work with people all over the country instead of just in person. Right. And that's been a beautiful thing. And that's just like a really small example, but it's invited so much dialogue between me and those I share life with around, maybe we don't have to do it this way. Maybe it's possible to lean into this, this work, this way of living, this way of shaping a life in a different way because of the disruption and all of the possibilities that surfaced because of it. Um, so it's, I think first, like what's your relationship with that space of uncertainty and that, that being inside you and how do you learn how to calm your mind and your body down in such a way where you can listen, even in the discomfort to what's going on in that space, just like taking, taking a deep breath, um, settling into it for a little bit. Um, rather yeah. than just getting out of it as quickly as possible. Man, I love that so much. I think that there's there's a lot there. I mean, I think um, there's this uh, uh, psychologist, therapist, um, he, healing facilitator named Francis Weller, who I reference quite a lot for various reasons, but he talks about this idea that our outcasts are actually our outposts. Hmm. Uh, the things that we have exiled, you know, the things about ourselves, the things that, you know, whether it's communally, socially, or otherwise, are actually the things that we need to reclaim in mm -hmm. the territory of our personhood. Mm -hmm. uh, and that I think uncertainty is one of those things in the era of evidence and reason and logic that we've lost the capacity to live with, right? Yeah. Our yeah. ability to live in a space of uncertainty has atrophied in the world of science and uh, all of the tools cognitively and otherwise that we've developed, which are good. They're not, you know, those are good things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we've now over indexed uncertainty in a, in a lot of ways yeah. and we've, yeah. we've exiled and outcast uncertainty and the discomfort mm -hmm. of that. Yeah. And we've we've lost sight of it, and, and maybe it's it's in Weller's words, it's actually an outpost. And to, to your point, right, that if we can ask, what is for me in this uncertainty, and it's yeah. not something that is external, it's something internal, that it's a part of yourself that you can reclaim. It's a room in your house that you can go occupy, right? It's never yeah. been inhabited, yeah. and so in doing so, you step into a more fuller. Uh, sense of self a more integrated sense of self and you're better equipped to live in the world and in the tension of liminality mm. um, which mm -hmm. often feels uncomfortable but yeah 
And in a culture that's, you know, you piggybacking off of what you've said, like we've, we've not been taught how to do that. Mm-hmm. We've been taught how to accumulate things that are about making life more comfortable, more right. predictable, more right. routine, and right. like up and to the right. Exactly. Right? And yet like the research shows that in your lifetime, you can expect three to five massive life disruptions where like right to the core of your identity, you're asking those kinds of questions. And over the course of a lifetime, you can expect a bunch of smaller ones around Mm -hmm. 36 or so over Mm -hmm. the course of your lifetime, which means like every 18 months, you're going to be going through some kind of disruption. And then over your lifetime, three to five Mm -hmm. that will shake you to your core. Wow. Um, Life is in the transitions. Bruce Failer, a book that was put out during, I think it was March of 2020. Like talk about timing the market. (laughs) Uh, The book gets released and all this beautiful research and data comes out that um, he, he researched and he calls those massive disruptions, life quakes. Mm. Uh, (laughs) And that's what the entire planet was going through is this massive life quake. Right. Uh, and some embraced it like, oh man, we don't have to do life this way anymore. Yes. And many of us, uh, struggled immensely. And for a lot of us, it was both, it was both Mm. like, this is hard and there's good here. Can I hold both? Mm. But we're not taught how to do that. Like no one takes a course on how to do that in life. Right. Right. Uh, we're taught like make your life convenient, comfortable, Make it work so that you're continuing to climb that ladder, grow success, that story. Yeah. Um, when it's pretty normal, actually, to go through this this kind of disruption that puts us in touch with these really important questions. Yeah. Can you say more about the invitation of discomfort? Because <laughs> I think that, you know, we see this a lot in 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 our work at Gensler and in working with clients around transformation organizational transformation often right and or or cultural cultural transformation or you know there's some desire to look at the future to some degree through our strategic foresight practice and to understand what might be coming right and and typically the 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 posture is can you predict what's going to happen so we know how to navigate it and we say no (laughs) You can't Mm -hmm. predict the future, but what you can do is project a vision of the future that you want to live in. That's born out of a place of conviction rather Mm -hmm. than um, a place of best practices. I had a mentor of mine tell me a decade ago that, you know, best practices are for people without conviction. And we've found (laughs) conviction to be the primary way that you navigate ambiguity, right? Mm -hmm. It requires that you know who you are. Mm-hmm. some degree. Mm-hmm. And and so there's this certain level of comfort that you have to have with the discomfort of yeah. making a decision in that space of ambiguity that not a lot of people have, right? It's often yeah. hard for people to dream of a future or a reality that's an alternative to this one mm-hmm. when they haven't yet developed a capacity for the discomfort of standing in that place. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, could you say more about what happens when you step, when you begin to step into that place of, of liminality and uncertainty, the in-between, yeah. 
what is the invitation to and how do you begin to develop endurance and resilience and um even sensitivity to the discomfort in a way that that is healthy it's integrative it's holistic i'm getting ahead of you here a little bit but what's maybe (laughs) uh, speak more to that yeah well a story comes to mind of a client that i worked with a year a little a little bit more than a year ago um I do this diagnostic on the front end of my work with clients where I get to interview eight to 12 individuals that are directly impacted by his leadership. And they're hour, hour and a half long interviews. I put all of those interviews together and it all tells a story mm. of this leader's impact right. um, on those individually and the organization. And I looked at the data after after pulling this all together with him And one of the things that we concluded is that you are an unsafe leader Mm. um, and that you are within, I would say, six months of losing key members of your leadership team. Wow. Two days later, as we were continuing to do this debrief session, uh, which I do over uh, a couple of days with him, he got a call that morning before stepping into the office with me from one uh, one of the leaders on his team. Uh, in charge of a lot of production, it's a construction company who gave him his notice. Oh, wow. And it was gut wrenching to, you know, on some way, in some ways, like prophetically look at this document and say, this is mm-hmm. coming if the story doesn't change for you. And um, this hurts. This is hard. Um, some of his instincts were like, you know what, screw him. Like, you know, he sucked anyways. Like he had this and this going on and which distances him from the invitation, kind of stiff arms the invitation. Right. Um, for this leader, it was the the honest look in the mirror to be able to look at the story that he's he's literally holding in the pages of this document mm-hmm. that says, you are a man who under high levels of stress become mean, Mm. critical. You become an ass. Mm -hmm. And though your company is churning out a lot of revenue, it's not a good story. Right. Because no one in this company feels safe in your presence. Right. So the big question for him that felt like the invitation for him and his leadership team and as an organization is, how do we create a space here at this company where we feel safe, cooperative, trusting of one another and become the kind of company that we could, that we sense inside of us um, and begin writing that story. So Mm -hmm. for this leader, the invitation around that question required he look at some really hard data points and then to dig a little deeper. How did that happen? How did that story take shape? So I think there's, in order to hear the invitation towards creativity, imagination, um, all of the stuff that's about uh, becoming uh, a more true, better, healthier, flourishing human being, flourishing organization on some level requires like, we got to own the story that's behind us a little bit. Mm. Uh, we gotta We got to own how we got here. And maybe it's not fully our responsibility, but it's a big part of accepting the invitation. Otherwise, like what good is creating a new story if we haven't transformed from the inside out? 
right? Like the external can change. We can have new systems. We can, you know, have a whole new HR program. But if we're still mean, cruel leaders and we have a team that doesn't trust one another, where's the value in doing all that work to, to change right. the external? Right. Right. So right. I always say like this invitation is always inside out, always inside out to lead to the kind of transformation that creates beautiful stories right. for the individual leader, but also for the organization as a whole. I love that. That's really powerful. I mean, it, you're speaking to this thing that, you know, we often refer to as like facing your shadow. Yeah. Right. And yeah. that, that, that's the first step to accepting the invitation and yeah. to even recognizing the benefit of the invitation yeah. and um owning your story facing your shadow uh and recognizing where you are perpetuating harm or distress yeah, yeah. and have been harmed and distressed yourself right yeah um, yeah and so yeah. there's there's grief involved there there's a responsibility involved there um, there's, uh, you know, um, a sense of reckoning, <laughs> um, that's really powerful. And, and imagine the world that we would have if more leaders were willing to do that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think it's the, you know, that report I was mentioning, like is a powerful insight into his story, but without application, there isn't going to be transformation, right? Like, to see those things is hugely important, but the vulnerability, I mean, you use that word endurance and sensitivity. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna keep these insights before us that are about the story that brought you here. And we're gonna look for ways to accept that invitation in the next team meeting that you have. Right. In the next one-on-one -on -one that you have. We're gonna get you out of asshole mode and become a kind leader that doesn't, not do that conversation without a backbone, but can create space for sensitivity, both your own and the person you're sitting with, because they're not a tool to get the job done. Right. They're a human being. Right. Right. On this ship going somewhere with you. So why would you want them to walk the plank? Why would yeah. you want to keep them on board? Yeah. Right. Because they're creative. Right. They bring value. They have gifts you don't have. So let's use this as a chance to take deep insight apply it to a, a setting that's familiar or a brand new setting mm. and look for the transformation. And that, that brings an individual, a team an organization into that conversation that that's happening at the fuzz, right? Mm. That, mm -hmm. that like that puts us in touch with that space in a beautiful way. Right. And it's inherently messy. You know, this yeah. leader I was just mentioning, he failed again and again. But the vulnerability to sense in a, a sensitive way to like show up to these conversations and and say like, here's how that went, here's how this went, <laughs> like mm -hmm. to rigorously be honest about these moments is like mm -hmm. okay, dust yourself off, let's get back in there again, go do a little cleanup work to start that conversation, try this next time, um, lean into these aspects of what we're seeing and trying to do here and. It's all about that vulnerable like movement towards, I want to become this in the story, in my life with what I've been given. I want that kind of freedom to choose that story rather than being dragged along by this shadow that I'm not aware of or in conversation with. Um, and I think living with a both and. If the work is trying to 
completely eliminate the shadow so you never have to deal with it again like that's a setup for failure yeah yeah it's like learn to live with it learn to give it a hug learn to embrace that side of yourself that yeah. that's there for a reason um yeah. be in touch with it have a conversation regularly with it and learn mm -hmm. how to bring that into the invitation mm -hmm. rather than extract it like rather than an extraction like a tooth that's got to decay or something right and I've found too that, and, and I don't know if this has been your experience in working with your clients, but in my own personal journey, what I found is that my shadow is often the source of my strength. So good. Yeah. when it, it, it's a shadow often because it's an unhealthy manifestation of what I'm actually, what my actual gifting is. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and so when I accept the invitation to do the work and face the discomfort and to step into that liminal space of uncertainty. I find that embracing that part of myself leads me to new realizations and learnings about my, my, my personhood and my, my giftedness, my, my, my reason for being in the world. Right. Totally. And so it's almost ironic that the existential angst of facing your shadow actually is the path to existential certainty. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so well said. Yeah. yeah. And I, for my own life, when, when I name my shadow, like in the most vulnerable relationship I have, say with my wife, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, my spouse, when I, instead of like denying it or pushing it away or getting on the defense, like my willingness to own, like, yes, yes. Like that's, that, that has been part of my story that has been some, I did, I did do that. I did say that, that my willingness to step into that, it becomes what you're describing, like yeah, a beautiful space that gets opened up between the two of us where we see the both and, right. And there's a chance to lay down arms mm -hmm. and together become a little bit more cooperative in that space of where do we go from here rather than just like, you know, right getting getting more conflict into the conversation it becomes a different kind of energy at some point not every time but <laughs> more often than not yeah you know? yeah i mean but the same is true with our organizations and our teams like right when we own the shadow guy what does that do for others it makes it safer for them to do the same yeah yeah exactly we did some um research a few years ago my colleague uh, jacob and and i um looking at attachment theory as it applies to management relationships. Hmm. And one of the things that we saw, and it's so just absurdly apparent uh, when you begin to apply attachment theory to these, these working relationships, is that obviously we want to have a secure attachment, right? That, that, that there's a, a particular confidence we can bring to the safety of a relationship in as much as it allows for things like vulnerability and, and, yeah. and in doing so we're, we're able to bring our whole self, right? We don't have to mask. Yeah. We don't have to overcompensate. Yeah. And, and the story is just that, look, if you want to cultivate secure attachment among your working relationships, the, the easiest, best way to do it, and maybe not easiest, but the best way to do it is that when, there's distress you as a leader are responsive to the distress mm -hmm. and you don't try to justify the distress or explain it away 
or in any way diminish minimize it, it just right. allow it and acknowledge it and affirm it right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and in doing that you create opportunity for that person to feel their feelings um instead of having to bifurcate their self yeah and leave their feelings at the door of the office right yeah, yeah. And when you allow that integration to happen, you get more creative, more engaged, more innovative, happier people yep. who are fundamentally going to perform much, much better, right? Yep. And so if you're not doing the work as a leader of facing your shadow, of of uh, you know, asking yourself the question of your story and owning mm-hmm. your story. Mm-hmm you're not going to be as well equipped to sit in the distress with other people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which means that not only are you not doing yourself any service, but you're not helping your organization and your team. If you are a leader who aspires like, Hey, we need to be more innovative. We need to be more mm-hmm. creative. We need to be more ahead of the curve. We need to do yep. all these things. Like our engagement is low. Our retention is low. You know, we can't get the right talent. Yeah. You know, to your point, like it's an, inward thing first so it's not what's the rebrand that we got to do it's not what's the copy on the website it needs to change it's not how do we approach our sales differently it's not you know what's our product roadmap it's it's what have i exiled in myself Mm -hmm. what outcast is my outpost Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe Mm -hmm. starting there and that internal transformation is what we need to get to the external transformation at an organizational level yeah. Yeah. I love that. Visually, I think about two pictures. One is a life raft where the waves are big and the storm and there's thunder and lightning and it's it, it feels like survival. And the other is that of a ship and it's in the same kind of water. Uh, as human beings, like we have the capacity to do incredibly difficult, hard things. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the context where we feel safe, the energies of cooperation and the creativity and imagination that comes out of that kind of environment in the midst of a storm becomes that much richer, that much bigger, that much more powerful. Uh, And I think as we think about that word safety, and we think about what you're naming about the shadow and the outpost, like it's all about creating an environment where we can do hard things and express that creative, imaginative stuff that's at the outer edge of the fuzz on the other side of the fuzz, that story that we could really shape together that might impact our brand, our website, our offerings, whatever, right? But how much better and richer if the story begins within these safe, healthy, flourishing relationships where people can be fully honest about what's most true, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, um, there's this uh there's this spiritual guy named Bill Plotkin. He wrote a book called Soulcraft. And in this book, he tells these stories of people. And he used this line at one point in, in talking about one of these stories of people that he's worked with. And he said, I'm not, I'm not gonna be able to remember it verbatim, but it was something like, you know, this person they live in the space between the tribe of human civilization and the wild Hmm. and i just had this such a like a vivid image as soon as i read that line right of this you you know this kind of 
uh, prehistoric camp of sorts, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. The human tribe lives in, mm-hmm. and the fires in the middle, right? Yeah, yeah. And and out, you know, beyond the boundaries of the camp is the forest, the wild. Hey, right? Yeah, where the saber tooth tiger lives. Right, exactly. And this yeah. person inhabits that space between the camp and the forest. Mm-hmm. And and uh, in the story that he's telling, he's talking about her own wildness and mm-hmm. and accepting her own wildness, and that. There's these people who don't maybe for one reason or another, they're they don't find the most amount of comfort right next to the fire in camp. Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's not where they're supposed to be. Right. Like they are they are wired to sit at the perimeter. Yeah. And that's a liminal space to occupy. And I I wonder if you know, you've got anything to share around just the value of those people in our organizations and in our society that, you know, as leaders, I, I, uh, I see a lot of leaders trying to rally everyone around the fire, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. no, like, but wait, but maybe that person's supposed to be out there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they don't fit here. Yeah. Uh, love to hear your, your thoughts yeah. on that. Well, I, I mean, I would, yes. Uh, I, I'm guessing that you are one of those people that's not supposed to be by the fire, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, I know this about you, uh, nor am I, um, though I certainly want to spend some time by the fire when I need 100%. some good good care and rest and connection. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, I frankly, I, I, I look at where we're at in our society, our our world, and I look at you know, all the things that are going on on the planet and it feels like the rate of change and disruption is speeding up. Uh, we need more people who are at that edge between the wild and the comforts of the fire. And not only at that edge, but show others how to be at that edge, mm-hmm. how, to, how to live into that space. Yeah. Uh, again, not naturally taught how to do that, um, as human beings, we want that safety of the fire. Most of us do. Right. Um, so I, I just think the, the need for more that, that recognize not only do we need that, um, in our organizations, we just need that frankly in the world more, um, given the level of uncertainty. And I, I think as leaders, as organizations to remember, um, as the world changes, as more disruption occurs, it's going to make the story we find ourselves in around that comfort of the fire. Um, some of those moments, some of those spaces are going to become obsolete. They won't right. match reality anymore. That's right. And if we don't um, learn how to be at those edges uh, and look for what's beyond them, uh, then we are at risk of like losing the story of the organization, uh, losing right. like going out of business, frankly, right. um, or a system or a, a structure crumbles because it didn't respond to the reality of what's going on today. Yeah, um, And that's just like really crucial then for us to have people who are at that edge, comfortable looking at the story of what is and what's coming and being in conversation with both. Yeah. Yeah. And even taking this metaphor a bit further, there's a particular so for example we you know we in modern society have lost 
we've lost a shared sense or um I don't know what the right term, but essentially we don't have rites of passage like we mm -hmm. used to, right? Mm -hmm. That there's the initiation that we used to uh, um, in more primitive, you know, whatever that means, society, mm -hmm. there was more rigor around initiation into adulthood and maturity. Yeah. Um, for both men and women. Yeah. And we've lost that. And so I think today we have a lot of adults who have never been initiated because mm -hmm. they've never ventured into the wild. They've mm -hmm. spent their entire life living next to the fire because they've <clears throat> told been told that's what success looks like. Totally. Right. And yep. this is also what belonging looks like mm -hmm. community belonging, safety, you know, don't, don't disrupt. Um, mm -hmm. And don't, don't, uh, don't shake things up. Mm -hmm. So they never had the chance to go into the wild, to transcend that, that perimeter yeah and to discover themselves in some meaningful way that, yeah. that facilitated a rite of passage into adulthood and maturity yeah and, yeah um and so they they don't have the experience of the forest to bring back to the fire mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i think yeah. that's well another uh a thing that we're dealing with systemically not just in organizations but socially culturally especially in the west we have very few elders right mm -hmm. very few adults mm -hmm. we've got a lot of a lot of kids out there running around trying to meet their childish needs in the bodies of grownups. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And uh, I think that that's leading to a lot of the destruction that we see today. Right. I agree. Uh, yeah. Ecologically and, and socially and otherwise. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. So, yeah. There's some, man, that's a great, I love that metaphor. There's a lot of, of ways to take that. And I think those people who live in the perimeter who, who are comfort, comfortable in the perimeter in that liminal space. I mean, these are the, these are the the heterodox folks, right? They're the people who push back on the dogma of of the of the of the norm of the consensus, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they're philosophers and they're poets and they're artists and they're inventors and they're fundamentally oriented towards the question, not the answer. Yeah, right? yeah. And um, and the question, one of them being, maybe we don't have to do it this way anymore. Maybe we shouldn't be doing it this way anymore. Maybe there's yeah. something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we won't we're not we don't encounter that question if we're not willing to step into the liminality well and that's the thing about life here on planet earth like live long enough disruption's going to put you in conversation with those questions of liminality right. you have a right. choice you can mm -hmm. say no no thanks i'm going to find the quickest fire i can uh and you know huddle next to it and stay warm uh but it might be a counterfeit warmth ultimately to a life that's about you becoming you more fully Yep, um, and that is my hope in, in this work individually with, with with individuals and organizations and teams is that it be in that space of those really good questions that that allow them to become more visible, more known, more connected to the reality of the of the story they find themselves in, and step into that invitation more fully and do that hard work that they're being invited to internally, but also externally. Yeah, um, at the fire and at the perimeter, right? And I think that's a great question: is what is my fire? What whether it's a mm -hmm. business model or a belief system, like and everything in between, you know? Um, what's the thing that I find certainty and comfort in that is inhibiting my ability to step into the wild, where maybe the next frontier is? Um, 
mm-hmm. the place that we should be moving towards. Yeah. I love that question. Yeah. That's good. Any last thoughts on this? Uh, you know, so um, maybe tell us a little bit, name, name your, your organization and where people can find you and any last thoughts you have and yeah, so Liminal Space is the organization. You can find us on our website in a liminalspace.org. Um, and our work is uh, coming alongside individuals that are going through all kinds of change and disruption in their stories, in their life. And that's leaders, that's individuals going through various stages of life that are disruptive. Um, individuals that are just feeling a general sense of angst over the story, the fire they find themselves next to and know there's a wild, they just can't, they don't know how to get to that wild. So Mm -hmm. we walk alongside any of those individuals to help them see themselves where they're at more clearly and find a path towards that edge, that fuzz. Um, So we've got a team of guides that that do that work and um, I'm blessed to have them. Final thoughts. Um, I would say that whether you are personally going through a liminal space, you're in touch with those deep questions, or it's professionally, or it's both, you're going through a disruption or a life quake, whatever it looks like, um, I would encourage you to stay as long as possible in that liminal space until you figure out what it's truly inviting you to. Um, that is a conversational space that's nearly impossible to do in isolation. So if you don't have conversation partners, if you don't have people that are walking into those questions with you, not giving you answers, but like helping you unpack the question, how it surfaced, the story behind you, where you're going. And again, I say that not just for you individually, but as a team, as an organization, like these are all relevant, um, right? So find the the guide that can help you step into those with as much vulnerability heart and mind as possible so that you can fully see the invitation and start doing that work to become what it's inviting um so yeah i could say a whole lot more but i think i'll stop there (laughs) well eventually we'll get to part two yeah (laughs) thanks john really appreciate it yeah so good to be here joel thanks for having me You've been listening to The Fuzz, a Gensler podcast exploring intuitive curiosities. The Fuzz is hosted by Carolina Montilla and Joel Ferris. Production by Jared Price. Brand design by Krista Reeder. The theme music was written by Ido Maimon. For more on all things fuzzy, please visit our substack, thefuzz.substack.com. Thanks for listening.